Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Let's read Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It's the birth of John the Baptist. And this series, no doubt as we're going to be told, viewing it from the eyes of the people that were around the time of the greatest story ever told. In the time, verse 5, of Herod king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. I might add, if you don't have a Bible, there are some in the aisles, so grab one of those. Verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go out into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all assembled worshippers were playing outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He uh, is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old, an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak this to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months, remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and has taken away my disgrace among the people. Uh, Skip down to verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town 
in the hill country of Judea, of Judah, where, uh, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And skip down to verse 57, birth of John the Baptist. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, his name shall be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has this name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his, mother, his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. And he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbours were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judah, the people um, were, Judea were we're talking about all these things. Everyone heard and this wondering about uh, what is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sin because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. God bless you, Pastor Dave. Thank you. Hey, good morning, everyone. Always great to be together in church. We, always, we all have certain moments, certain events, certain stories in our lives that we remember. And we always remember where we were and how they made us feel. And, you know, there were always significant events. For me, one event I always remember... One Tuesday evening, about 16 years ago, I was sitting at home. I was uh, watching TV, watching a footy program on telly because Hawthorne was in the finals and, you know, life was good. And um, Trace and the kids were all in bed and they went to an ad break. It was near the end of the program, went to an ad break and there was a quick news update and then the newsreader said that a plane, an aeroplane, had hit the towers of the World Trade Centre. And I thought, wow, that's... You know, in my mind, I'm imagining this little Cessna, you know, flying in fog, blown off course, and 
clipped its wing on the tower and I'm thinking, what a way to go, the poor pilot, I hope he's okay, how embarrassing. Anyway, the program finished, but instead of going to the next program, which would have been my signal to turn the TV off and go to bed, instead they crossed straight away to this live footage of the tower of the World Trade Centre on fire. And I thought, wow, that's pretty dramatic. And I could tell that it was a beautiful, clear blue sky in the background, so this was not some pilot lost in the fog. And then almost straight away, just a couple of minutes later, the newsreaders are saying, whoa, we've just had reports that another aeroplane has hit the other tower. And all of a sudden, all of the ramifications of that became pretty clear, this is not just some random accident. And so there's footage of both towers on fire, and, and I'm transfixed to the screen just watching this horror unfold. There's, they talk about every plane being grounded and planes not responding and hijackings and, and people fear, and the footage comes to light of people who are filming these planes just ploughing straight into the buildings. And then we hear the Pentagon's being hit, and all these, and there's no footage, but all these eyewitnesses saying this plane just came down really low and just smashed straight into the building, and it's... It's horrific to watch, and I was up for several hours, and then one by one the two towers collapsed, and you see vision of taken in the street of people just running for their lives as this smoke and ash and dust just billows out, and people just throwing themselves to the ground, and you hear about the firemen who had to go into the buildings to get people out, and just incredible, powerful story that leaves a deep impact. Uh, the very next morning, uh, 7.30, obviously I had a very late night, so I was sleeping in, and uh, Tracy's not a morning person, she was in bed too. But the kids, their favourite cartoon was at 7.30 every morning and they'd like to t turn the TV on to watch and Megan comes in saying, the TV's not working, every channel's the same, it's just got the news. And I said to Trace, quick, I'm going to distract the kids because they don't want to see this, you, you go and watch and catch up. And I took the kids into the kitchen for the noisiest, most distracting breakfast we could ever, you know, put together. But uh, it certainly leaves an impact, doesn't it? And some of you probably have memories of that day as well. And we all have m moments in life, whether it's private things like our wedding or the birth of our children or significant milestones in our life or public events. If you're older than me, people talk about where they were when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon or when they heard that John F. Kennedy had been shot. More recently, we've had the, the death of Princess Diana and the Port Arthur massacre in Tasmania. And in more recent years, the, the, um, the Boston bombings and the Manchester bombings and... Um, you know, the Lint Cafe siege and the Berlin War coming down and all sorts of different events that, that make an impact. And we always remember through our own eyes, through our own perspectives, these significant events. So as Ray said, we're starting a new series today. We finished Thessalonians last week with a very timely and encouraging message from Ray, which was great. And so now, and for the rest of December, we'll be looking at Christmas. Now, Christmas has been described as the greatest story ever told. And if it's not the greatest story ever, it is, is indeed a part of the greatest story ever told. The story of how the Son of God came to earth. The Son of God, he who by him all things were created, and in him all things hold together, and yet he chose to come to earth and live with us. And he didn't come down in splendour and glory and power, but he came in as a humble, helpless human baby. He didn't come to a palace in riches and fanfare, but he was born into obscurity. He did not come to be served, but he came to serve. He did not come to kill and destroy, but he came to lay down his life. It is truly the greatest story ever told. And Christmas is very important to us here at Follow Church because if you're new to Follow and if you've never heard this before, our, our vision as a church is simply one word, and that is Jesus. Our, and our mission, our mission statement is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. So our, 
Our vision, our focus, our goal, our reason for being is simply Jesus. And our, what we aspire to achieve, what we, our aim, our intention, our purpose for being here is to follow Jesus in our community. That means in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our hobbies, in our sport, in our shopping centres, in all of our engagement with the community around us. We follow Jesus. Not for our status or our, you know, to look good, not to draw attention to ourselves, but to bring glory to Jesus. Now, we're not perfect people, we're not a perfect church, but that is certainly what we aspire to do constantly, to serve Jesus as faithfully and as fruitfully as possible. So Jesus is what Follow Church is all about. And so therefore we celebrate Christmas proudly, passionately, joyously because Christmas is all about Jesus and we love it. Now we all know the story of Christmas. It's probably a very familiar story to us. And we know Christmas is a great story because we have the benefit of hindsight. We know about the birth of Jesus We know about the life that Jesus lived and his teachings and his miracles. We know about Jesus' death on a cross and everything that that means. We know about the resurrection of Jesus and everything that that means. And we can see for ourselves the impact that Jesus has had on this earth for the last 2,000 years. So we know for certain that Christmas was a great story. But what about those people who were there as it all unfolded for the very first time. The people who saw it happening without the benefit of hindsight. What was Christmas like for them? So we're looking at Christmas through the eyes of the people who were involved at the time. Normal, ordinary, everyday people just like you and I. But people who did not have the benefit of hindsight to see how it all worked out in the end. So in the next few weeks, we're going to look at the lives of Joseph and Mary and Jesus, and even the week after Christmas, we'll look through the eyes of Simeon and Anna, who weren't there for the birth, but they met Jesus in the temple just a few days later. So a series is called, If You Were In The World's Greatest Story. And as Ray held up this thing, if you bring this along with you each week, each week we'll have a photo, or a, well, picture, of, of that week's character that we're talking about. And there's also invitations there to our Christmas Eve service, which we encourage you to, great opportunity to invite your friends, your neighbours, your relatives, and there's more more invitations at the back if you would like to use them. So before we get into the rest of the message, we actually have a very special treat today, a world exclusive to follow Baptist Church. You excited? I'm serious. We have two very special guests, compliments of DeLorean time travel and homemade costume design. We have for you, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Guys, please come up and share with us. Elizabeth and I would like to share some of my story with you today. Um, I was married to Zechariah who was a priest which was perfect because he loved God and wanted to serve God and so did I. Um, God was a very, very big part of my life and after getting married we wanted children but we prayed and prayed and we asked God and we prayed and hoped and prayed and hoped but it didn't happen. And 
I guess for us, or for me especially, in our culture, that was a really hard thing. Women knew their place and knew, I guess, that their job was to raise their family. But for us, that didn't happen. So there was a lot of confusion because we believed in God. And some people told us that maybe it's that our faith wasn't strong enough. Maybe that we'd done something wrong. Maybe it was a sin. And that was really confusing because we were trying to serve God. And it brought a lot of isolation. So in the community, all the mums would be together and you'd see all the beautiful children together and you'd look on them and you'd think, why can't I have that? Especially when we're serving God. So we kept praying and there came a time where we became so old that we, th- we knew, well, we can't naturally conceive. That's it. So we had to accept that God had said no. And that was a really tough thing and there was a lot of grief that went along with that. Some people lose children, some people um, have a sick child and for us that pain was just as strong every day. And we'd celebrate with people who had a baby, we'd be happy for them, but we'd also go away and grieve. But our main goal in life did not change. I wanted to serve God, I wanted to obey God, so I had to wait and just trust in him that our purpose in life was real, that he was our purpose no matter what. Well, one day Zechariah went to the temple and that wasn't uncommon because it was his turn to burn the incense. He was a priest, of course. When he came home, he couldn't talk, could only communicate through gestures and writing on a tablet. But he told me through those communication skills that an angel had come to him. Imagine, I can't even imagine it. An angel came to him and said we were going to have a baby and that his name would be John. I was so excited and confused, but I just could not think of how great that would be to have an angel come to you and give you a message from God. So I was excited through the whole process. But I also knew it was a big responsibility. And how would I mother a child at such an old age? But I knew if God had said so, he would give us the strength and he would give us the skills. When John was born, he was a joy and a delight. And he followed God and was used by him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He prepared the way for Jesus. Can you imagine how great that is and we watched on as our boy grew up and became a man of God. Every step in life he followed God. He told people Jesus was the Lamb of God. He baptised people and then he got to baptise Jesus. I can't even imagine. I looked on as my son did this. Well God had a much bigger purpose in our life than we could ever see. My son was born into the world at the perfect time, not in the time that I wanted. And he grew to become the man of, a man of God. I learnt that God's ways are always bigger than my ways. Hi, I'm Zachariah. For me, this was a, a very weird time because uh, I was a priest. I'd always come from a line of priests and it always 
been taught that everything was possible through God. But in that moment in the temple when the angel appeared to me, I laughed. It was like, this angel is telling me that I'm going to be a dad. And it's like, well, my wife and I are old. We're too old to have a child now. And to me, it was a shock that I doubted because I'd always known that God was capable of anything. But in that moment, I doubted and I lost my voice. And you know how difficult it is to go around telling people good news when you can't speak. It, it was a moment of reflection for me as I come to terms with the fact that I had doubted God. But inside me, I felt that this promise was there and this promise was going to happen, that I was going to have a son and he was going to play a very big part in God's plans. And at the same time, we were hearing from Mary about what was happening for her as well. And it was this time where my doubt turned into an, a faith in God that I hadn't experienced before, where I knew this promise was going to come true. And for me, that's what Christmas is all about now. It's that hope and that promise from God about what is going to happen. So, yes, I learned not to doubt, but also learned about that true meaning of Christmas, of hope and faith. So thank you, Zechariah and Elizabeth, a.k.a. Dave and Lee. Um, so, so how would you feel if you were there watching these events un unfold, seeing the very first Christmas happen live in front of you? So Zechariah and Elizabeth were just ordinary people, just like us. Nothing, nothing special or you know, supernatural about them. They were faithful, humble, obedient servants of, Jesus, of God. Not rich or famous or anything, just just people like us. So God can use ordinary people to fulfill his purposes. In fact, sometimes I think God uses unexpected people, maybe a priest who actually questions God's message, maybe a, an old woman who cannot conceive children who can still be a part of God's plan. So don't, none of us should ever say, God can't use me, because actually God does, can use very ordinary people just like us. So if you are trusting God, if you are willing to be served, to be used by God, then God can certainly use you for his glory. We can also learn from their example. So they both had a dream, This ever since they got married, they had a dream of having a family. And after many, many years of disappointment and heartache, and, and as Elizabeth shared, some of the, maybe the, the rejection and the comments from other people, and yet how were they reacting? Were they bitter and twisted and blaming God and losing their faith. No, they continued to faithfully serve God, to accept whatever God had in store for them. So it's a great example for all of us. Keep trusting God. Keep waiting on God. Keep praying. Keep serving. Because you never know what God has, when God has something special in store for us. So Zechariah was a priest. Now every year, as far as I can work out, every year they would probably have normal duties where they lived, and every year each priest would go to the temple for a two-week block of, of, to serve God at the temple. And then while they were there, every day there was a, an offering. They would go into like the inner part of the temple, what they called the holy place where they believed the presence of God on earth was. They would go in there 
to burn incense as an offering to God. Now, obviously, this was a huge privilege, a great honour, and every priest would volunteer, and so they would have to draw lots to, de to decide who would have this great honour. And today, Zechariah wins. This is certainly not an everyday occurrence. This is maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. I was trying to think what would be a modern-day equivalent of this such a special thing to happen to you. And the closest I can come up with the, would be maybe if someone rings you up and offers you to pay to take you to Israel. That would be a, a, a similar kind of, <laughs> a similar kind of uh, moment. So Zechariah is having an awesome, an awesome day. And while he's in there having this awesome day, an angel of God appears and basically tells him, your prayers have been heard, your dreams are going to come true. Praise God. And Zechariah has one of those moments that, you know, in hindsight we sort of shake our head, and, you know, what was he thinking? Like, in the presence of God, angel from God, has a message like, praise God, thank you very much. But instead he's like, really? Like, How can this be? So, anyway... In the angel said, your prayer has been heard. God always hears our prayers. We may, he may not answer in our time frame and according to the you know, pre-existing solution that we had already come up with, because you know, God is God, but God always hears the prayers of his people. We don't know exactly what John was praying for. Maybe he was praying for a child. Maybe he was praying for the you know, deliverance of the people from oppression. Either way... The angel's message was an answer to his prayer. So we might roll our eyes at his doubt and his questioning and his lack of faith, but really, are any of us actually any different when it comes to the crunch? Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. And yet when our life gets tough, we're like, come on, God, why aren't you helping me out? And we lose our faith and we... You know, get angry and we take things into our own hands. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures on heaven. And we think, well, yeah, but later, for now, I'm kind of interested in the treasures on earth. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we say, yeah, I'll get to that, but right now I'm sort of concerned about the kingdom of me for a little while. So actually, Zechariah was probably no worse than most of us. Now, as a priest, Zechariah would have studied his Bible. Specifically, Zechariah would have studied the Old Testament because, believe it or not, when Zechariah was around, the New Testament hadn't even been written. In fact, you'll know if you know your Bible history that this event was the very start of all of the events that would be written into the New Testament. So for Zechariah, the Bible was what we would call the Old Testament. The prophets, the law, the, the wisdom literature of Psalms and Proverbs... And he would have studied that. He would have been familiar with that. And because he would have been familiar with, with that, he would have recognised the message that the angel was giving him, talking about preparing the way for the Lord in the spirit of Elijah. This is just like Malachi and other prophets had predicted. They, had all, they all knew a Messiah was coming, and they were hanging out for that day, and Malachi had also predicted that a messenger would come to prepare the way, and he would come like Elijah to prepare the way. So this was great news for Elizabeth and Zechariah, that they were finally going to have a son. But their good news was actually wrapped up in even greater news for the whole community because this wasn't just any son, this was the messenger from God who was coming. And of course, that was fantastic news because that implied that the Messiah was about to come. So you can imagine how excited Zechariah was, absolutely bursting with 
great news for we're going to have a son and it's going to be the messenger and the Messiah is coming and he's just overjoyed and overflowing. And he can't tell anyone. Imagine the frustration bubbling with good news. You might have, might have heard the story about a young man who became a Catholic priest. And before he became a priest, he, he loved golf and he would play golf as often as he could, several, several days a week, and he just loved golf. But when he was studying to become a priest, he was sort of convicted about giving up his worldly pleasures. And so as part of his vows of poverty and chastity, he also vowed to give up golf. But he actually found he just couldn't really live up to it. Some of the other things he could manage, but giving up golf was just, just too hard. He, was, he just missed it so much. And he couldn't go down to the golf course during the week because all his old mates were there and they'd all know that he was a backslider and it was you know, just too awkward. And he finally figured out the only time he could sneak down to the golf course would be first light on a Sunday morning with no one else around and he could go down, he could play a couple of holes of golf and then he'd go home and get ready for church. So one Sunday morning he's down there having a, and getting his little fix of golf and Peter, he's up in heaven looking down and Peter sees him and says, hey God, get a load of this bloke. Like Catholic priest, he's sworn off golf, and now he's playing golf on the Sabbath, on a Sunday. Like, unbelievable. And God looks down and says, don't worry, I'll, I'll fix him. So just then, Peter's watching, and the, this priest he just lines up his tee shot, and whack, and he hits a beautiful shot, just right off. It just, it's about a 410-metre par four, and the ball just goes and goes and goes and bounces and bounces and bounces and rolls and rolls and rolls and drops straight into the hole. And Peter's, whoa, that was amazing. Hey, hang on, I thought you said you were going to fix him. And God says, yeah, who's he going to tell? <laughs> so Zechariah would have been very frustrated. But contrast the doubts of Zechariah with the faith of Elizabeth. So God, God appreciates faith. God always endorses faith. You know, Abraham, it says of Abraham that God counted his faith as righteousness. And Hebrews chapter 11 is all about all these people and the faith that they had and how great that was. In John chapter 20, we read about the disciples meeting Jesus again after the crucifixion, and he's alive. But Thomas is not there, and so they tell Thomas, oh, we saw Jesus, he's alive. And Thomas is like, mate, you're having me on. I just, I just can't believe it. Unless I see him for myself, unless I see the nail scars, unless I put my hand in the wound in his side, I just, I just can't believe it. Well, a week goes by and Jesus appears again and this time Thomas is there. And Thomas sees Jesus and he believes and he calls Jesus my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, you saw me and so you believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. See, faith is strongly endorsed and encouraged by God and Elizabeth had great faith. She was also very humble. She must have been bursting with enthusiasm at her news that after all these years, finally she's going to have a baby, and not just any baby, but a special baby in God's eyes. And when she meets Mary, what is her response? Not, hey, Mary, guess what? It's like she's just praising God for Mary's sake. Mary would have been getting a different reaction. Elizabeth, when she was out in public now, was like, everyone's excited for me. Mary probably wasn't experiencing that, but Elizabeth has complete faith that this is all of God. And she just shares Mary's joy and she acknowledges that Mary's baby is actually even more significant than her own. She was just a, a great woman, humble, faithful servant of God. What a great attitude. 
As it turns out, of course, Elizabeth's own son was pretty special. They called him John, and he grew up to be the man that we know as John the Baptist. He preached repentance. He prepared the way for Jesus to come. He prepared the hearts of the people, and people would flock from all over Jerusalem and Judea after the Jordan River to listen to John, to be baptised by John. He really did prepare the way. And as they mentioned before, he publicly recognised and identified Jesus. When Jesus came down, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He summed up who Jesus was and what he came to do in one simple phrase before Jesus had even begun his earthly ministry. And then John baptised Jesus and he saw the vision of the, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove come down and um, alight on Jesus and the voice from heaven saying, This is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Later on, John was arrested because he, he boldly preached the truth and King Herod was basically messing around with his brother's wife, which was unacceptable, unconscionable behaviour. And some people might, you know, they're happy to um, rebuke the common man, but when it's someone rich and powerful and famous, they might sort of, uh, you know, let them go. But John, John didn't care who the king was. The king was a sinner and John told, it, told him straight. Now, obviously, King Herod didn't appreciate that at all and he had John put in prison. And later on, John was put to death on orders of King Herod. And some people might say, what a waste. Rotting away in jail and then beheaded. But I'd say, no, what a legend. What a faithful servant. What an effective messenger. He died for doing what God had called him to do. He died a martyr. He died a hero. A son they could be very, very proud of. Now, I'm conscious that we're probably out of time, but there's one, one more point I really want to come back to today. I mentioned earlier about Zechariah studying his Bible and knowing his Bible and being familiar with what the Bible had said. And I think it's important today to emphasise the significance and the value and the importance of us knowing our Bible. In fact, I cannot emphasise this enough. Our governments now, let's be honest, have little or no regard for what God's word has to say. Some politicians are openly hostile to God's word and what he has to say. And sadly, it's becoming clear that they also have little, if any, um, desire to protect our freedom of religion, maybe even our freedom of speech. They said lots of nice things when they wanted to get the agenda they wanted, but now that they have that, well, it appears that we are not a high priority for them. So hopefully I'm wrong, hopefully things will change, but... There's a very good chance that we will soon have laws in this country that will make it illegal for us to publicly speak out a biblical opinion. If that opinion is not shared by the new politically correct totalitarianism. The next step after that could well be that the Bible may be banned. The Bible will be so politically incorrect for them that they will not tolerate and they will want it banned. And it might seem outrageous in a Western country, but it's happened before, it's currently banned around the world. So you might think it's absurd, and I hope that you're right and I'm wrong, but as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to understand that our opposition does not only come from godless and ungodly human authorities. Our opposition comes from the spiritual forces of evil, the powers of darkness, and they hate Jesus, and they will do anything they can to stop the growth of Christianity, and they will specifically try to deny us the right to publicly preach the truth of God's word. And so I believe it is essential for us to know our Bible. 
Now, in some ways, we don't have to worry because obviously if God is for us, who can be against us? And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And all of that is great stuff, but it doesn't diminish the significance, the importance of God's word. Jesus warns us very clearly that those days are coming. I don't claim to be a prophet. I don't know when they're coming. But if they do happen to have come sooner rather than later, it's no good having six Bibles on your shelf that you, we don't read and all of a sudden they're taken away and we wonder what it said. So just in case these days come soon, I encourage you, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you. It is essential for us to know our Bible. Read the Bible while we can. Memorise the Bible while we can. Study the Bible while we can. Know what it says and do what it says. Take it seriously. Put it into practice because our society is very rapidly turning completely away from God and will soon be literally against God. If you read Psalm 119, which I encourage you all to do, a bit of homework, read Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, but take note of how often the writer refers to God's word, God's law, God's commandments and how important they are. It's a sensational psalm to read. And verse 11 says, I, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That's great advice for us today. So as we approach another Christmas, as we remember the birth of Jesus and as we look through the eyes of the people involved, we learn that for Zechariah and Elizabeth, the birth of Jesus was an answer to prayer. It was a freedom from their disgrace, from their shame, from their embarrassment. The very first Christmas meant joy. It meant hope. It meant new life. It meant that they could play a part in God's plan here on earth. And Christmas can mean exactly the same for each and every one of us this year. Let's pray. Father God, we want to say thank you for Christmas, the time when we remember the birth of our Saviour. We thank you for the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, two faithful servants of you. Their life wasn't perfect, but you, you blessed them. You rewarded their faithfulness. We thank you for the gift of your word, the Bible, for its truth, for its power, for its significance. Help us all to know it, to love it, to read it, to believe it and to live it. Amen.